Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by Lansing State Journal sports storyteller Nate Atkins. Nate, how are you? How are you? I'm just going to, no, no funny intro. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Um, doing well. We've made it this far, and uh, to my knowledge, I've not caught the virus yet, and to my knowledge, so far as we record this, Michigan State and Indiana have not had an outbreak of COVID that would cancel the game because that is happening in a lot of places. Like all the SEC, Ohio State, Maryland just got canceled. Yep. So first yeah. and foremost, everybody stay safe out there, and that includes players and coaches because clearly some of them are not staying safe enough, and we're having a bit of a helter-skelter here in the college football season. Of course, I mean – I mean, it, it, it was only a matter of time before that happening when you see all of the skyrocketing numbers in every state across the United States. And then and then you're like, oh, cultural games are getting canceled. What a surprise. <laughs> yeah, it's it's bad timing for the calendar of the country. But also what I a theory that had been out there that I think we're going to see more of is when teams get to like two losses, I think you're going to see a lot you know, more lax protocols when you aren't playing for a conference title and you yeah. don't have a shot at the playoff. It's easy for Ohio State and, and Notre Dame and whatnot to bubble wrap as much as possible because they're playing for a national title. But and I think you're also going to see that in the effort of some of these games because it feels like this freebie year that's already over after two weeks. And in that sense, I'm talking about Penn State against Maryland. That's 100% what I think that game was, is that their season ended against Ohio State the week before. They're yeah. not used to it. Guys have already opted out, and here they are. Not really giving any effort, so it's we're in very weird times right now, and it's it makes it even harder to break down games like this. Yeah, I've but been seeing I've been seeing calls. To, are you getting once again? You gave another segue, beautiful segue, but I am not going <laughs> for the second consecutive week. I am not going to take it because uh, I wanted to continue briefly the COVID talk. It's just like uh, uh, I've seen a lot of calls today to you know maybe shorten the season and maybe just jump into the playoff. Maybe whether it's four teams or you know do a one year only maybe eight team playoff here and. And maybe just get, maybe not play through the theatrics of the rest of the season. Let's just get a title here before things get worse. Yeah. Well, I saw jokes that why can't Alabama and Ohio State play this week since both of their games got canceled? Yeah. And it's not because of their outbreaks, it's the teams they're playing. Yeah. yeah it's weird because it, it feels like, short of a couple potential upsets like Florida beating Alabama, it feels like we know who the four playoff teams are. I mean, it's going to be you know, short of a wild upset, it's going to be Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Notre Dame, even if Clemson... See, I I would condone for, like, just a one-year, eight-team playoff. Let's get Cincinnati BYU in there. What do we have to lose with those two guys? And then pick pick two others. I don't... Wisconsin, maybe? I don't... don't. Yeah, well, if you start it right now, you'd have to do it that way. And, of course, I'm on the team... I I think we should have an eight-team playoff anyway. Yeah. So... 
maybe just maybe yeah just throw them all in there and say look it worked it was fun let's do eight games forever <laughs> all right eight you teams know, eight teams forever yeah no i agree with you well all right well let's talk about michigan state here nay you wrote a piece on sunday in your weekly film review about michigan state's defensive line and how well you know i guess i won't win swords here how poorly they handled uh, iowa's offensive line and rushing attack uh, they were just seem mismatched numbers wise, athletically, and you know, and, and everything else. And I think that at this point, this especially when you factor in the depth, this might be a huge point of concern going forward. And I think other teams might see that as well. What was your overall assessment on how all of that went down? You know, it's interesting to do this. I think we're both zero and three picking Michigan State games. So, um, uh, yep, yep, that checks out. <laughs> And we've won almost every other pick for the for the Big Ten, which is funny. But what happened, what I think went down again this week was there was one matchup that we just did not see enough of what it actually was going to end up being. And, and last week it was Michigan State's wide receivers were just going to own Michigan's cornerbacks, and that was the game this week. There's a lot a lot that went wrong for Michigan State, but at the, I think if they played really well, at the end of the day they were going to lose by 17-plus just because of the matchup of their defense against the Iowa running game. And it's defensive line related, of course, but it's also the fact that Michigan State's, this is one of the concerns we talked in the very first podcast about them running the 4-2-5 this year on defense. And I get why they're doing it. You don't have time to install very much with no spring. You've got a new staff. Defensive line's already what, you know, was supposedly the strength of the team. So they just went with what Scotty Hazleton ran in the, in the big 12. Well, you go up against a team like Iowa and you're trading out a linebacker for a defensive back, that does not make you more able to take on these line these linemen who climb up in the pocket and go after the linebackers. So what you saw again and again from Iowa is, I mean, their, their linemen were, they had their best game and it came at the worst time for Michigan State because they're firing off the ball and they would just consistently double, double a nose tackle like Jalen Hunt, one of the guys who's just too big to take one-on-one. And they do it so well that they can just peel, uh, peel a guy off up to the linebacker, and sometimes that was up to his safety, and that's a problem. And so then you mix that with Antoine Simmons missing any time at all. I think it hurts them in every game. But in this one, their plan was just send big bodies at the linebackers, take Noah Harvey and Antoine Simmons away and make someone else do something, and of course they couldn't do it. So all of a sudden you take Antoine Simmons out, you put Chase Klein in, uh, it just was a total mismatch on that side of the ball, and especially turned poorly. Once this thing snowballed and it got to multiple scores, you knew they were just going to keep running it, keep chewing clock. They fell into the worst trap you can fall into a team like Iowa, kind of like they did back in 2010 when they lost by a similar score. Well, I think it's a strength with the linebackers. I mean, they were already – the depth was thin at the linebacker core, even when you include Antoine Simmons, and then when Simmons gets hurt – and they're just decimated. They, I mean, they usually don't play three or four linebackers because there just aren't three or four linebackers on the roster that are re- capable of playing at this level at this point in time. Yeah, and I think Mel's, Mel Tucker is frustrated by the fact that the depth falloff was that much. Um, we know every, we know it's a big drop-off in terms of the athleticism from Antoine Simmons to Chase Klein to anybody else who could get in the game, but just the mental speed. They just didn't seem ready to watch. Cause again, you're playing an offense this week in Iowa where the guards are not telling you right where the ball's going to go. Like they did with Michigan. They're not just follow the guards and the, the running backs are behind them. The guards are kind of telling some lies, especially on play action. They go one direction, you fake it and you come back the other one. And they're, they're going to, 
they're going to double team a nose tackle, and then they're going to come for you. So following the guard is not going to get you to the play. It's going to get you blocked. And Mel Tucker was frustrated this week because you could see the second Antoine Simmons went out of the game. Iowa knew it. They were going to just send their linemen at those guys, and they didn't know how to handle it. And some of this is obviously a lack of uh, of the overall season that's here. Some of it, I just think they'd never planned on Antoine Simmons leaving the game. So I just don't think they've worked that depth enough. That's another reason why they're going with the 4-2-5. They don't have three linebackers they feel wonderful about. They have two they feel pretty good about. So it was just a just a really bad storm. And, I mean, of course, when team loses 49-7, to it's a bad storm. But this was everything that could possibly go wrong in this game for Michigan State on both sides of the ball did. But at the same time, if everything went pretty well, I think they still would have lost by at least two touchdowns because they just could not handle that Iowa wide zone scheme against the 4-2-5. Yeah, you know, we talked about on the Tuesday podcast about – just people not being able to fill in. Chase Klein struggles, and Jess Lord Botang can't seem to, you know, get consistent playing time on the defensive end of the field either, or on the defensive side of the ball either. So, I guess from what you can surmise, what what do you think they have to do? I mean, what's the solution? Well, I think they're up against it anytime they face an Iowa or a Wisconsin, to a lesser degree, in Ohio State. Those just powerful teams that. Uh, can just kind of take their ends out of the play. Uh, one thing they've got to do, though, I you know, I was interesting when they're playing. You know, I don't know how they thought it was ever going to work to have Drew Beasley set the edge against these Iowa tackles and tight ends. I mean, Drew Beasley is a great story. He's a former walk-on. He's made some good plays as a pass rusher, but he's 6'2", 260. The guy he was going up against, uh, the left tackle for Iowa, was 6'6", 315. So the math just is not in his favor. He doesn't have the length, and he clearly doesn't have the size. So I thought a guy like Michael Fletcher, when he came in, and you saw them play him a lot in the second half, he was at least doing enough. He was at least you know, using that length to get to the spot he wants to get to first, set that edge, not get driven out by a tight end. And it's not going to be perfect. He hasn't played a ton. He's still adding mass. But against teams like that, I think you have to play the 6'6 guy or six five guy over the six two guy. I mean, it's just the math isn't on Drew Beasley's favor. The other thing they've got to do is, you know, Jalen Hunt at times was the one guy who was shooting gaps and getting into the backfield, which they needed, but he was much better off the ball than he was uh, just when he was taking on double teams. I mean, I was almost like he was surprised to ever get a double team. His pad level's high, and he made it easy on them. And so it was. You know, some of that's just the way he's built. Of course, he's going to win a one-on-one matchup a lot better, but a lot of it's just adding mass and size over time, which obviously there's no easy solution for that. They need Fletcher to fill out a little more. They need Jalen Hunt to fill out a little more. In the meantime, though, I would play Michael Fletcher anytime you're going to face a more powerful offense, and you know it would be nice for them to at least develop some kind of package where – they have a third linebacker on the field when they get in those spots where when I was in the red zone and you know they're running, you should be able to send in a linebacker to at least be able to hold that. When I watch Xavier Henderson have to drop down to a linebacker spot, take on a tight end who's 35 pounds heavier than him, and like that's not how Xavier Henderson's going to win. He's going to win being a tackler, not a guy who can't make a tackle because he's on a block. So. They've just got to develop this linebacker depth yeah. way better than it was on Saturday. I mean, I mean, the guy in the linebacking core that I like, he's a true freshman that hasn't played it, is Kyle Halliday. I mean, if you watch, 
I, don't, I suspect you have not watched his highlight reel from. His, I have. Oh, you have. Him. Okay, told dude. Me last year about him. Yeah, that dude flies around the field, and he is like the prototypical headhunter linebacker that you want. And uh, for one reason or another, maybe you know we obviously don't see practice, so maybe he has not. That has not translated quite yet. He still might be a, a project or whatnot, but it seems like they do need to maybe try to work in some people and practice them and you know get them ready for for games here. Yeah, I mean, after you watch on Saturday, you know, what happened against Iowa, I think everything's on the table. And this is a coaching staff that very much is – kind of everyone has a clean slate here. I mean, if, you, if you're not holding it down right now, you're not going to be out there. A perfect case is Elijah Collins. But, um, yeah, that's a good example. I, I just think it's really tough on true freshmen this year. Yeah. The mental load, especially on defense, you just don't have – you only get that to learn that kind of reactive space – when you're out there in live reps, but maybe there comes a point this year now that they've got two losses that they can't talk about all their goals being out there that you do start to just develop guys like that more. Yeah. It's going to go poorly at times, but they've got to figure out what they have for the future. This is ultimately a freebie year for Michigan state. And I know Mel's trying to, he was trying to establish, he's not trying to make this all spring football where you don't have to earn your reps. and We just put people out there and see what happens. But at the same time, at some point, you need to get to the point where if guys are not delivering, you need to develop other guys who can deliver a little bit more. And one of those, yeah, I think over time, too, they've got to diversify the scheme enough, which they're going to do in the long run. I fully believe they're going to be a 3-4-4-3 hybrid type team like Mel Tucker wants. They need to start working a little bit of that in this year because if they're going to stay in a 4-2-5, teams are going to find ways to make Xavier Henderson be something that Michigan State does not want him to be. Yeah. Well, let's stay in the trenches and look at Michigan State's offensive line. I know that you had a few hot takes uh, regarding the offensive line play that you wanted to get off your chest. So uh, uh, I am going to open it up to you here in a second. And uh, I think your, the theme of your, your takes are going to be along the lines of the two offensive line commits that Michigan State had this week, which are very sizable guys. One guy came in at 330 and the other one is 6'7", 315. That's Brandon Baldwin, the 330 guy, Christian Phillips from Georgia. Yeah, the size of those guys shouldn't shock you, nor should the timing. I mean, <laughs> it came out right after the Iowa game, which some of that, I mean, the kids got to decide what he was deciding, but I, I guarantee you they made a hard push on that because some of the same things I said about defense in this game, the offense, the math just isn't there for them on the offensive line. And, yeah, as far as hot takes, I mean, there's there seems to be a bit of a split among – the Michigan State beat as to whether this offensive line is a problem or totally fine and other things are a problem. Um, I happen to fall into the camp that it's a problem, a problem that you could work around if you had an experienced quarterback and a set scheme for that quarterback. But the problem with, like last year, they were in the mid-30s in sack rate. I mean, it was a survivable unit in pass protection. But the problem is you not only don't have Jordan Reed back at right tackle, you don't have Brian Lewerke, the experienced quarterback. So to move then to Kevin Jarvis at right tackle, Rocky Lombardi at quarterback, your ability to handle pressure is just dramatically lower level. And that's just – Iowa defenders said that after the game. That was a clear part of their game plan was get pressure on Rocky Lombardi and he's not going to react to it well. He doesn't take a sack. He doesn't let a play die. Again, sometimes it's good qualities when you have to have a play at the end of the game, but it's not in terms of managing a 14-point hole in the first quarter and not letting that snowball. And so I just don't think this is the right offensive line for this quarterback. 
it's kind of a, a shared responsibility here, but like like their guards right now, guards and tackle, when they get into obvious dropback situations, third and seven plus, and they've got to throw, it is not good. Like, it is not good when they drop four, but when the defense just rushes four guys and these guards are having a problem, Matt Carrick, whether it's Blake Buter or J.D. Duplain at left guard, those guys are having a problem right now. And I just don't know what else you really do about it until you get new guys in there. And so there's a reason why Michigan State, if you track all three of their games so far, they're doing everything to avoid that kind of five-step drop on third down. Sometimes they swing it out to to Connor Hayward. They had one play on Saturday where they just ran a sort of a, a rub route to him that was short of the sticks. But to them, they'd rather take the chance that he breaks a tackle than to have Rocky Lombardi drop back, have these tackles pass protect, and have him throw over people. So, which is which is sort of weird because his best success has been uh, those go those go routes, those fly routes uh, in the past two games, which they didn't run very much versus Iowa. They have been their his best, that, but that's if you watch when they run those routes like against Michigan, those were often shock plays. Those were often first down. Those were what they do in tempo. I think they wanted to do some of that against Iowa. Their tempo game was just so messed up because the snaps were off. They were having false starts. I mean, their offense just was not ready to play, and that's what brought all these issues out. And the argument I've had, you know, when we talk about the the differing stances on the offensive line, I mean, people, you can look at how they the offensive line had a great day against Michigan, horrible day against Iowa, seemed like a decent day against Rutgers, and you say, well, they've just got to get consistent. Well, my my argument is they'd be more consistent if they were better. I mean, there's a reason why yeah. every Justin Fields game looks the same. <laughs> he's consistent because he's consistently good. Yeah. So it was one thing. They played a great game against Michigan, and I gave them all the credit. I thought they schemed that game even better to help those tackles out and not have them pass protect long. But to bring that every single week, you've got to bring your A game when you're not an A caliber unit, and that's just where they are right now. Yeah, I'm going to paraphrase something Graham said on Tuesday's podcast. He just talked about how you can only – you can only move guards out to tackle for so long before it starts to be a, you know, a long-term problem. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have the length. They don't have the experience playing tackle. That's Kevin Jarvis right now is having that problem. Um, he's losing speed to power. You, you see AJ or Curry sometimes he, he, he can play pretty well, but there's times he's been beaten by length. There's a reason why they're going and getting guys who are six, seven, they want that natural length and they'll build all the other, uh, technique points. You look at a guy like Ethan Boyd out of East Lansing. They're bringing in. He's six seven, but only like two eighty five. He is a raw, raw player, and he is not a guy that you look at and you're like, yeah, hey, he's going to be starting next year by any stretch. But he's the body they want to yep. put in the lab to teach all this other stuff to. Because at some point, you can't teach. You know, you can't teach Drew Beasley to be six seven. You know, <laughs> he's six two. And the same thing goes for guys in their offensive line. They. So they're just stuck, I think, against elite teams up front. And uh, Iowa has been the first team, I think, really brought that to them. Michigan, they got away they got away with Michigan's pretty decent pass rush by the fact that they have no cornerbacks. I mean, they were the yeah. team that brought the book out on Michigan and threw it, and even just to get flags. Michigan last week against Indiana, who we'll talk about in a second, Indiana did much of the same stuff. 50 pass attempts, zero sacks. So the sack numbers, I just think, are deceiving because they're weighted in one performance against Michigan where they had zero sacks, 
when they found the book of how to get zero sacks against Michigan. It's less about your offensive line, more about how you protect it, and I don't think they can protect this every single game. Well, before we move on to the Indiana game on Saturday, let's give a shout-out to our sponsor, Coors Light. These days, it seems life forces us to be on all the time, but every now and then, it's important to stop and reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. So make sure your refrigerator is stocked with Coors Light when the Spartans are playing or when you're watching any game. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or any team. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally, again, made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for a moment to unwind. And for me, the perfect moment is when the work is done and the game is on. So when life forces are go, 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 take a moment to chill with a Coors Light. Have it delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, well, let's move on to the... Real quick oh, before yes, you move on. Go. Just so I don't seem like... I, I just want to get a little bit of that argument off my chest. I don't want to seem like just the total poo-poo in the offensive line because I do think there are some positives. Nick Samak struggled a little bit with the snaps, but he's really impressed me, especially the way he's able to just get up, get right up on the nose tackle and kind of secure him. I thought they blocked inside pretty well. They just don't have a back who's hitting that hole right now. I mean, their run game would be a lot better if they could just get a quick north-south runner in the game, and they just can't do it right now. So I think it's an offensive line you can play with, but it's going to come down to how Rocky develops because it's just not going to be an elite offensive line. And anyone who's expecting it to be is not paying attention to the new guys they're bringing in. Yeah, you mentioned earlier in the podcast about how just this might, this might be a tough year to bring – you know, acclimate freshman right away. And Jordan Simmons, I think, can be that guy that you're asking, but it's going to it's gonna take some time for that. Yeah, he's got a limited repertoire. You see it. He, he executes certain plays well, usually outside runs, but reading the uh, the inside zone type stuff they're doing and reading the guards and where they're that, – that stuff's got – that's hard, hard on running backs who haven't done it before and haven't had the reps, so just yeah. take some time. So, so we'll start with the offense here versus Indiana. What does – Michigan State have to do offensively to, to counter what a what a red hot Indiana team is doing right now. What do they need to do to be successful against what the Hoosiers do? Yeah, Indiana's a lot different than Iowa in the fact that they're really good because they're just pretty good in all these different areas. Iowa's that just dominant run play action team, and that either works or it doesn't. Indiana, though, they've got a lot of talent in different areas. That's true on defense, too. So you're going to see them. They'll very often just run the rush the traditional four. They're always blitzing a guy, though. It's either a defensive back. Often it's Taiwan Mullen, uh, their, their sophomore cornerback, who was all, big, all freshman last year, or they'll blitz a linebacker. And so you never know where it's going to come, but almost every play they do that, and then occasionally they'll just not do it. Occasionally they'll just rush three instead of five. And so they're trying to trap kind of inexperienced quarterbacks or rush teams trying to come back into mistakes. It worked against Michigan. It's worked in. It's worked against Rutgers. It's, it, it even helped get them back in the game a little bit against Penn State. So a lot of this is going to be about game flow. And it's can as we keep saying about Michigan State, can they avoid obvious passing downs? I think you need to do that even more now because you're going to get into some of the uh, the stuff Tom Allen does with exotic blitzes and disguises and dropping people back it's more than you normally see and that's where uh you can see some turnovers come out so 
Michigan State did not handle blitzes at all against Rutgers. Um, they found better ways to kind of run play action and get around them against Michigan. They're going to have to have a good plan for the blitzing uh, DBs and linebackers at all times in this game because we've seen Rocky under pressure and it's not what you want to see. It's cr- it's crazy because you know we talked about I, especially coming coming off the Minnesota game, we just thought Michigan's front seven was just going to blitz, 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 and they would just be successful the entire game, and that certainly was not the case at all. But then we saw Rutgers and Iowa both have you know good have good days getting pressure and forcing turnovers and stuff like that. So I don't even know what I don't know what to think about what Michigan State's going to do to try to scheme what Tom Allen's going to do. I think Tom Allen's just going to do what's worked for them so far. I mean, this is what he's done for a few years now, and the difference is that the last year he's actually went out and got you know, legitimate athletes at cornerback. It lets you blitz more when you have these guys who can really cover. And so Michigan State's going to have to win quickly in the routes with their, their receivers, which is – beneficial to them because that's the that's the one way they probably can win in this right. game you're just gonna have to they're gonna have to pick up the pressure enough and let rocky sling it and i think if you do that when he's not kind of stumbling away falling away from a throw i think he can do some good stuff in this game and so it's gonna challenge guys like ricky white and Jalen naylor and, and Jaden reed really be on their game and and that's the thing that's interesting is at a three games so far michigan game the receivers were just incredible the other two games, there were a lot of miscommunications and drops, drops and, and errant, just, errant, errant, uh, that lack of communication on passing routes. Uh, there was a yeah. one play where Naylor stopped short uh, on a pass. I think I got picked off. So, yeah, yeah, he had a third down drop that that helped the snowball too. So they've got to really be on their game. If they're not on their game, I don't see how Michigan State's going to be able to pull this out. They clearly don't have enough of an inside run game. Uh, they're, you know, and without that, they're not able to work the quarterback run game enough now either. The receivers are going to be everything. Indiana's going to bring a blitz. You got to make them pay, get a few big plays, convert in the red zone, and and win. You're going to have to. You're not going to win. Indiana's a weird team where you're not going to beat them in just an all-out shootout or in a defensive game. They're so well-rounded and play such good complementary football. You have to win with the one area you can best win at, with where Michigan State is those receivers. And then you're going to have to hang in there in those other two phases. And so far we've seen one game where Michigan State had all three phases working pretty well and two where they had basically none of the three phases. So <laughs> that is that is that is well said. Got to get back to uh, the Michigan formula. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the Michigan State defense and how, well, I don't know. When you watch Iowa, I don't know how they're going to stop the Indiana offense. Uh Indiana has playmakers all over the place, you know, starting with with their quarterback and Michael Penix, and you got their running back, and you got their wide receivers, and you got the tight end Peyton Hendershot, former uh, one time Ball State commit before Indiana sniped him, and uh, oh, I know get some bitterness out of Phil still here. still bitter. I mean, I'm still bitter about Desmond King. Uh, that was like almost a decade. <laughs> that was almost a decade ago. <laughs> so rough. Uh, anyway, yeah, you, you, let's, let's talk about Indiana's playmakers all over. Just. Uh, how, what does Michigan State do? Well, Indiana, yeah, it's a good offense. They came into the year as a very experienced team, and that's really helped them. It's it's all about Michael Penix, that quarterback, kind of serving as the truly a point guard type of player. I mean, he's you know, Wap Fillier was their big uh, you know their big name last year, thousand yard receiver, second team All Big Ten, but all of a sudden they've worked in a guy people didn't know nearly as much, Ty Freifogel is this big play receiver now who's doing everything. I mean, he's catching screens and swings. He's going down the field. 
Um, and then you add in Stevie Scott at running back. So he's just trying to navigate this offense with all these pieces. Um, it's, it is going to be a challenge for Michigan State, but I do think they have a better chance this week than they did against Iowa because they don't have that just one part of the – that one phase of the game they don't have an answer to. Indiana does not have a dominant offensive line. They are not a dominant rushing team. They kind of use their running game only when they need it, you know, on a third and short or, you know, when they're ahead in a game. And it, But it's not this thing that you just line up and you don't have any answers to. So, you know, they're going to make – you know, Pedex is going to throw it up to these receivers. He's not – he's kind of an interesting quarterback. He's a left-handed quarterback who was, used to be recruited to be a safety, and he's really transitioned to being a true quarterback. I mean, he has six rushing yards on the season – uh, you know, he's just throwing the ball all around because their skill is at receiver. He's right. just letting it go up and make a play. So this is where I think a guy like Xavier Henderson's in a much better spot in this game where he can he can drop down and cover guys in the slot. He can help double guys. That's more where you want to try to win if you're Michigan State is that Antoine Simmons, you know, moving sideline to sideline rather than let's have Xavier Henderson pretend to be a linebacker and take on a 260-pound uh tight end out of the backfield so this is set up for them if at least to hang in there decently well if Xavier Henderson can really be a game changer these cornerbacks have got to grow up fast they haven't faced receivers anywhere near this level and that's what I'm most interested to see is this is the first team they're going to face that really has that I was leading receiver was out last week Michigan doesn't not have any go-to guys coming back they're not really sure what they're working with these are the guys that are going to get in the face of a guy like Kalen Gervin in uh, really challenge them. And they're going to have to have a great game. And in Michigan State's got to get something out of those ends. You know, Jacob Panishuk and Drew Beasley, when Indiana is throwing it around, make him uncomfortable because Michigan didn't get a single sack on him. Mm-hmm. You're not going to win that way. You you give them time to throw these receivers and you're toast. So yeah. they've got to figure something out there. So I, I two things here before we get to our picks. One, you mentioned Indiana's offensive line. You know, Scott's only averaging 3.6 yards per carry. I, I say only. That's I think that's a good number in the NFL, but in college you see running backs. Yeah, with, it's, much it's more not what you want. Exactly. And then second, I think Michigan State fans are going to remember the show Penix put on last year in a in a game that Michigan State won at the very end with a late field goal. And then uh, for and then IU, and then on the ensuing kickoff, IU tried to do a bunch of uh, – uh, lateral, <laughs> yeah, laterals, and then Michigan State ended up returning it for a touchdown. So, so that was that was what happened at the end of the forty thirty one game. But you know, Penix had a huge game against the Spartans last year. So that was his coming out party. That was when he yeah. was battling with Peyton Ramsey, and and then eventually Ramsey transferred, and, and Penix has become the guy. There's just some. He's kind of like Rocky Lombardi in the sense that there's something extra to him that's not seen in the in all the the mechanical ways, you know, he's not a typical quarterback at all, but you can just see the way that he's brought this entire offense together and made it about all of them. And he's just a guy distributing it. So that's, what's going to be really hard for them is to the first true great passing established passing attack they've faced this season. It's coming right now. Yep. All right. Well, we'll make our picks here in a minute. Uh, But first I'll recap last week. Both of us went four and two last week. We both uh, misfired on Michigan State and Penn State, so good to, good times yeah, for us. I think everyone in the world misfired on Penn State. Yeah. Um, I do, in hindsight, wish I I think it was a stretch to to pick Michigan State when looking at just kind of the established 
scheme that that Iowa already had at home last week. If you know, I, we we had said that when it when it clicks for them, it's going to really click. Well, it really clicked, and that possibility was out there. I I do have to admit that part of the reason I picked Michigan State was because I was scared to fear a rebuttal from Michigan State fans coming off that huge win over Michigan. Uh, but I but the reason I did end up picking Michigan State was sound in that going into that game. If you took those their two those those teams four games, you know Michigan State's win over Michigan was more impressive than Iowa's than Iowa and their two losses. So crazy things happen. Yeah, sports baby. Well, I I thought the receivers had something to build on, and then they yeah. had kind of one of their worst. I guess their worst day tied with Rutgers. When they when they have their worst day, it's not going to work for Michigan State. Yeah, and uh, for the season, Nate is thirteen and six. I am twelve and seven with my pick. So Nate maintains his Ooh. one game advantage all right well let's start we'll the same oh. picks last week so hopefully we have something different this time uh, we'll we'll find out no spoilers here all right up first iowa and minnesota yeah i gotta go with iowa i think they really found something last week i know minnesota took it to illinois i think illinois is just in shambles though especially the what minnesota's got going on 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 the offensive line that was such a problem against michigan it'll be a problem against iowa iowa goes up Uses that run game and wins. Yep, I'm with you. I got the Hawkeyes. Indiana at Michigan State. Yeah, I I definitely think this one's a lot closer than last week. I mean, how could it not be? But I think Michigan State will have a good showing. But at the end of the day, you know, Indiana is that developed program that's kind of where they're trying to get to. And Michael Penix is just going to make more plays than Rocky Lombardi. And I think Michigan State's less capable of coming back in a game like that. Yeah, I think I think Indiana's going to the Rose Bowl, so that means oh. that means they are not going to lose this game, and I will take the Hoosiers. Illinois at Rutgers. Gonna go with Rutgers. You know they've they've been sneaky in all three games so far. You know Indiana, Ohio State, maybe the two best teams in the Big Ten. They've at least done something in the second half to scare those teams a little bit. And Illinois, you know, in shambles with all the COVID, they've got nothing going so far. So. Give the edge to Greg Schiano and his guys. Uh, once again, we are in agreement. Mm-hmm. Penn State at Nebraska. All right, I'm going to go with Penn State here, and uh, it's definitely risky because there seems to be something very off about that program right now. I'm just not ready to bury what James Franklin's built for six years already, and I just they're just a much better team than Nebraska, who also doesn't have a lot going. I think it was one thing to lose to. Tua's brother, you know, coming off a big game, they should be able to go to Nebraska when there's no fans out there and take care of it. If they don't, then they've got a big, big problem. Yeah, we got a little bit of hashtag breaking news here on the Spartan Speak podcast. I am picking Nebraska to win this game. Uh, I know, spicy, spicy take, but I think the thing you said at the beginning is true. There, there is something wrong. Like much like the Michigan program, there's something wrong within the Penn State program. And I yeah. just think Nebraska. I think it's just going to continue snowballing for the Indy Lions, and Nebraska gets it done here. Wisconsin at Michigan. See, this is what's so weird about this. <laughs> we haven't seen Wisconsin in a month. I know. And we're supposed to predict how they're going to be a month after they played one game against the worst team in the conference. But we've seen Michigan though, so I'm going to have to go with the what I think is a competent team at least in Wisconsin. Uh, Michigan is reeling. I'm not sure they're going to pull it all back in yet. And Like you, Nate, I am also going with Wisconsin. All right, our last game on the board, Northwestern at Purdue. pair of unbeaten teams. It is. This one was tough for me because 
I think Purdue's kind of sneaky this year, but Northwestern's got it rolling right now with no fans in the stands. I think they're able to handle things a little better uh, than they otherwise would. I got Northwestern going in here and pulling out one of their classic low-scoring, tight games that they survive in the final minute. Uh, for Again, Nate, you do such a good job explaining these. I don't have anything – I never have anything to add, but I'm with you on Northwestern. I think they're rolling, and I think they get the job done in West Lafayette. All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Nate Atkins underscore, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.